Hello, everybody. My name is Dan Van Horn. I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Baptist Church in Fairfield, Connecticut, and we want to welcome you to the TBC Provoke podcast. This is where we hope to stimulate, stir up, and provoke you to love and good deeds by taking the conversation we start on Sunday mornings and bring it into the middle of your week. Hello, everybody. This is Clayton, and welcome to another episode of the TBC Provoke podcast. My guest, as always, is Senior Pastor Dan Van Horn. Hello, everybody. Nice. I tried to get it. No, I really liked it. It kind of had like a big bopper vibe. Yeah. But also like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon <laughs> animal kind of vibe. What was that? Captain Caveman. Oh, yes. Captain Caveman. Was he one of your favorite Hanna-Barbera yeah, characters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you ever watch the Hanna-Barbera Olympics? Oh. No. Uh, I just, as a child, growing up, spending the weekend at my great-grandmother's house in northern Missouri, every Saturday I got to watch the Hanna-Barbera Olympics. Okay. And it was all of it was all of the characters competing in Olympic events. <laughs> right? Grape Ape, uh, Captain Caveman, Ricochet Rabbit, uh, all of these guys, right? Yeah, and it, boy... Ricochet rabbit trail there. <laughs> oh, I got that rabbit trail. Ping, ping, ping. Uh, all right. Well, you know, we have firmly established how old we are. <laughs> and that's good. That's good to know. It's good to know who you're listening to and what their character is like and how odd they are. Because we're going to talk about some big questions over the next four weeks. Um, and we're going to talk about the four basic big questions that we believe every worldview tackles. Uh, and we might need to define worldview real quick. Mm-hmm. Dan, how would, how would you break that down? I, I think it's the, the, the belief that we live by. It's the, the things we believe about our world and about ourselves that have an impact on the, the actions we take throughout the day, the way we live our lives. Absolutely. Uh, and most of these worldviews actually go beyond our world and our lives. Mm-hmm. They extend into the metaphysical, things that are bigger than this world, things that we can't see. Yeah. Uh, and and that's, how, that's how vast worldviews can be. They incorporate thoughts and concepts that not only affect you today, but also go on to affect you into eternity. Yeah. Uh, and so we're going to quickly define some of the most prevalent worldviews that exist today. And this is going to be very quick. Yeah. I'm actually using a resource from uh, the Daily Bread Ministries, a part of their discovery series. And uh, in chapter three of their literature, Windows on the World, they ask, what are the major worldviews? And so... This is their resource, and I'm, you know, I'd say I'm like 98% with them. Yeah. Some people say there might be nine major worldviews. I think culturally, you know, in my experience, I typically deal with one of three, and we'll kind of touch on that later. But here's a breakdown, real fast. Monotheism is a worldview where one God exists who is separate but is involved in the universe. Mm-hmm. And... Historically, the Judeo-Christian faiths 
are couched under the monotheistic thing. Are there others like so when we when we say Judeo Christian, like what are there other religions that would we might ballpark to say this is also a monotheistic a monotheistic worldview? Yeah, uh, I'm sure in the eons of time there have been monotheistic worldviews. Yeah. But I just simply don't know all of them. Right, but so like Islam would be, yeah, like one God. Abrahamic, the Abrahamic religion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Judaism. Uh, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, Christianity the, the various flavors of of each of these. Right. Uh, sort of couch under here. You know, some folks might say Zoroastrianism. Well, you know, uh, if I even said that right, I'm sure but you that. Did. But that, you know, sort of uh, creation, uh, wisdom as an eternal being is something you can pursue. So there there are different ways to get in there. Uh, Then we've got a second worldview they list is deism. Mm -hmm. And this is that that a single god, an entity, created an orderly world and then sort of like set it on its own, to operate on its own. A sort of watchmaker god. Built it, pressed play and backed off. This was really big in the 17th century. Uh, Then you've got naturalism, that matter is all that exists, and it is best understood through science. So uh, a lot of people you may encounter may classify themselves as atheistic, but really they are naturalists or what I would call materialists, which is that, hey, it, it, all we are is cells and DNA and chemical reactions, and the best way to understand the world is through understanding those chemical reactions. Yeah. Uh, then you've got nihilism, which is that objective truth, meaning absolutely true or absolutely false, objective truth and positive values are to be questioned and then dismissed. <laughs> right, and, and that's and that's because they're going to and. There's, nihilism sort of grows out of the next worldview, which is existentialism. There's sort of this understanding that uh, the value that is given to things is given by men. Men are faulty, which I would say our worldview agrees with. But because men are faulty and the men attribute values, you cannot trust the values that have been attributed, and so you have to dismiss them. Got it. So everything is pointless. Yeah. Christmas at that house is awesome. Uh, then you've got existentialism, which is that life has no objective meaning, and so sub- so significance must be created from within. Now, we're up here in the Northeast. One of the great American existentialists is Henry David Thoreau. You know, we're sort of like in his stomping ground. And his whole thing was that you have to create value for yourself because the world around you is a terribly desolate place dying in front of your eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so find something to enjoy and enjoy. You've got pantheism, that everything, everything exists and is God. Mm-hmm. It, it is imbued with a spirit and that the physical things that you experience, those are actually an illusion. illusion. What is real is the spirit. The metaphysical, that's reality. Everything else around you is just an illusion that points to the metaphysical thing. Also, interestingly enough, 
I think there's a grain of truth in there that we would agree with. Well, that's uh, yeah. I think that's that's where Christianity and pantheism uh, that that's the crossroads. That's where they butt heads. Is their understanding of uh, God in everything or God over everything, and right. and it's a subtle distinction, but it's important to make sure. Uh, and then to wrap it up, the last worldview that they give uh, is what they call new consciousness, which is that reality is beyond reason and can only be understood by altering the mind. Now, this one is pretty new. This idea uh, came to light during the 1960s. Ooh. So this is actually a new worldview that has a whole lot to do with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Oh, the hippie, hippie regime. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, again, not, not unlike pantheism, there's maybe a, a rice grain of truth in here as well, which, like I would say, to fully understand all of reality, that includes the metaphysical reality and the physical reality, in order to fully understand that, you do have to get sort of outside of yourself. Now, the means of that, how you get outside of yourself, that's where I diverge. Uh, I'm actually, and Dan, you gave me this book. Yeah. I'm actually reading a book right now called What Your Body Knows About God. And on their chapter of about prayer, they actually take this scientific approach and look and see what prayer and meditation does to the human brain. Mm-hmm. Him. And what's amazing is that as we humans pray to this invisible God, this real but invisible God, the part of our brain that thinks about imagination is not engaged. But the part of our brain that thinks about physical relationships is engaged. Interesting. Isn't that in, that's wild. It, yeah, I, of course, I sit here in my office and I'm like, what? <laughs> my wife wants to know if everything's okay. Um, but... It, it just, it, it's amazing yeah. that when I think about my relationship with you, there's a part of my brain that activates and says, Dan is real. You're thinking about a real physical thing. Mm-hmm. When I pray, that same part of my brain is activated. That's very interesting. It's, it's amazing. Right. It's absolutely amazing. So you're not, you're not imagining a reality. You're actually engaging a, a, a real relationship. Yeah. Now, and I don't, I don't define that. I don't say that that's the case. My brain says that's the case. Right. Inside of my brain, when I pray, my brain is like, this is a real person we're talking to. I would take it one step further. I would say science puts it that way. Right? Right. Science explains it as a, as a relationship. Because, you know, I think what we are looking at the core... Or one of the core ideas that we're looking at when we think about worldviews is understanding the world, understanding truth. What what are we truly dealing with? And, you know, like some of the worldviews will say that what we are touching and feeling and seeing and tasting and hearing and smelling uh, is not really real, that they point to a metaphysical reality, but what is right in front of you is not real. I think that when it comes to understanding truth, we oftentimes think in false dichotomies. We think, well, science is true. But religion and thought is not true. In other words, what we can objectively see and 
uh, and touch and, and feel with our senses is whatever we consider true and real. And if it's a, a thought or an idea or a feeling, it can't be true. It's subjective to the person who's feeling it. But that's just not true. I think both science and religion held in tension point us to truth. And so I think it's lovely that, you know, the science of our brains can point to a relationship with God not being something of imagination, but being real. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and so that's kind of what we're going to endeavor to do, which is to to look at what we consider to be the four core questions of defining a worldview. We're going to answer a question today, and then one next week, and the next week, and the next week. And our context clearly is through the lens of Christianity, yes. which you know I, I believe is the most coherent and consistent worldview. It's why I ascribe to it. It's, it is because through Christianity, I am able to understand all things consistently. Uh, it, it doesn't break down in times of trouble. It has always upheld. Yeah. And uh, and I have ascribed to other worldviews in my day. Yeah. Uh, and this and this is where I have found a firm foundation. And really, that's that's the job that we're asking everyone to do the hard work of is deciding for themselves what they believe is the strongest worldview to live their lives by. What is most true? We, I would affirm, too, that I believe Christianity is most uh, most true, is, is completely true, and is the strongest worldview to live one's life upon. But uh, I think as individuals, we have to go through the, the, the challenge of determining that for ourselves. Because, and this is what I think is so in- interesting, is whether you recognize it or not, you're living according to a worldview. Right. Right. It may not you may not have thought it out, but you live with certain beliefs about the world. You you live with certain something shapes your view of right and wrong. Right. Something uh, guides the laws upon which you live your life. And there are some of us who haven't really thought about that. You know, we've lived under the care and direction of someone else so that we haven't had to think about what our worldview is. Yeah. But as you grow and mature and, and gain responsibility in this world, you have the responsibility to, uh, to think about what are those, what are those views? What are your beliefs that shape your actions and your daily, uh, uh, visions and values, uh, yeah. that you live according to. And as a matter of discipleship and I, I'm a parent, you're a parent, it is important to bring the worldview that you trust into the life of your child. It is also important that as the scripture encourages us to test all things by the spirit, right? Which means you've got to allow those you are discipling to question because they're doing what the Bible says. They're testing, which is good. It is good. When you, when you test the Lord, he proves himself true. And I think for many of us, uh, especially those who have grown up in different dispensations of the church, uh, I think a lot, and especially people in our age and younger, 
Um, they were told, it is true because I say it's true and you will do it because I said you will do it. And many people who have had an experience with that kind of Christian discipleship have found that when they personally began to question the worldview that they were prescribed, that they didn't have the tools with which to test and prove by the Spirit. And so they found a lot of the things they were told to be false, false like you're supposed to respect your elders because they're older than you. Right. Well, no, that, that actually is not false. Like I know plenty of disrespectful old people, you know, <laughs> uh, and I know plenty of little children whom are worthy of great honor because yeah. of the case and cause of their heart. So that's what many people said about me when I was a little boy. That you were worthy of respect and honor yeah. because of the case and cause of your heart. I've yeah. heard you tell stories about yourself. <laughs> you don't believe it, do you? I don't, be I don't believe it. <laughs> I just tested that one by the Spirit. Uh, and so the very first question we're going to ask, and I think this is the first question that all worldviews have to answer first. It is the question of origin. Mm -hmm. How did we get here? <laughs> And that's it. There are so many other questions that come after that, you know, like, what is our purpose? Right. And then what comes next? Right. And then the fourth question being, you know, what is justice or what is the appropriate moral code? Yeah. Uh, origin, purpose, eternity, and morality. Yeah. All worldviews come to some conclusion on those four topics. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the daily bread resource, and we'll, uh, we'll add the link to this in the show notes. Um, they, they suggest that worldviews have to answer these six questions. What is real? Who am I? Where do I come from? Why am I here? The question of purpose. What's the basis of my values? The question of judgment. And then what does the future hold? The question of eternity. So, how do we get here? Why am I here? Where are we going? And what should guide me while I'm here? Yeah. Buckle and and up. we're we're buckle up. Buckle up. <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna endeavor to answer those questions over the next four weeks, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, already we're we're pushing a twenty minute pot. Yeah. So that means per our listeners, we've got another fourteen, fifteen, maybe twenty minutes to tackle this. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's, you could fill, people have filled books with yeah. their theories as to, uh, and, and their attempts to answer the worldview question of where do I come from? Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, jumping back to your point about parents, I mean, this is something that kids wrestle with at a young age, you know, like when, when disobedience comes into the picture, when the, the question of who should I obey comes into the picture, when you know within the judeo-christian values putting that in the context of sin when sin comes in when when we become aware of sin right you know that relationship with our creator uh with the the source of our our, our creation the, the the origins of our being uh we we, we want to ask this question where do i come from and why do i why do i owe my love and obedience to the one who created me so it's a big question, and it's and it's a great question for parents to equip their children with in terms of thinking through the answers. I think traditionally within the church, we've just pointed people back to the the creation narrative in Genesis, or maybe the beginning of the Gospel of John, 
Um, but you know, I, I think that it's bigger than that because, you know, the debate within the church is, you know, you get into seven literal days of creation or, you know, is it an, uh, epic seven epics of time in which God created? Uh, is it, you know, kingdoms that he created and then filling those kingdoms? You know, are we to understand Genesis from a, a literal interpretive view? Um, and regardless of how you view that, those Judeo-Christian views of creation all attribute creation to God himself. God is the intelligent designer of creation. He is the one who orchestrated all things. I think you referenced earlier in the pod to um, a, uh, a watchmaker. I've, I've heard this illustration that when you look at creation, when you look at the intricacy, when you, when you think about the brain and how when we spend time in prayer with God, it triggers the, the relational part of our brain, not the imaginative part of our brain, there's an intentionality there. There's a, a beauty of design that that uh, that we believe didn't isn't there by chance, but is there intentionally. That that God uh, intentionally put each part there. The watchmaker, um, you know, intentionally puts each gear and, and 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 screw in place to to make this intricate machine tell time and keep time accurately. So God intentionally and uh, creatively uh, built us and created us. And while the 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 watchmaker God in of deism, which I think you know, the, some folks would say like that's probably where thinkers like um, Thomas Jefferson lived. Mm. He he was a deist famously. Um, that 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 version of god is not relational mm-hmm. and to your point the intentionality of creation that we are attribute attributing to god the intentionality of creation was done so because there was a heart of relationship at its very core yeah right? yeah i mean the the deist view is what well, like set it and forget it right yeah like create it and walk away <laughs> that's right? so we- nailed it nailed it <laughs> Um, but, but I think, yeah, our, our, our view of creation, uh, by God is one where, yeah, he said it, but he didn't forget it. He didn't walk away. He, he's also our sustainer, like our, our worldview and our view of our creator is one who not only intentionally created us for relationship, he also pursued us in relationship after creation. You know? Absolutely, um, and that's part of the the creation narrative in Genesis. Not just that he created and then rested on seven days, and then uh, on the seventh day, and then walked away. Right. But he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He 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 pursued a relationship with them and with the rest of creation, even after sin. And so already, like we're we're just asking the first question: Where do we come from? But we're already seeing in the answer that Christianity offers that there's more than just the root of, of the thing. Like, where do we come from? God made us. But the answer God made us leads to, but why? Yeah. You know, what, what was the purpose? Was it to set it and forget it? 
Was it to uh, instigate relationship? Was it was it to share experience and fellowship? Uh, which, of right. course, this is this is the next question. This is what we'll come up with uh, right. as we discuss next week. But if you look back at some of the other competing worldviews, you know, let's. I think there are there are probably three that I encounter the most often mm-hmm. in in my daily goings about yeah. things. One is the one that we share. The next one uh, is kind of what I'll call, for lack of a better term, culturalism. Mm-hmm. When people today say, oh, you know, our culture, yeah, and we're talking specifically Western society, mm-hmm. America, maybe some parts of Europe are like this, but what I'll call culturalism is actually a kind of a combination of existentialism meaning you have to create value for yourself right. and nihilism, recognizing that the value you created for yourself is actually selfish and pointless. And so what is value? Nothing is value. What's the point? There is no point. Right. So there's this, this culturalism, this existential nihilistic view. What's the meaning of things? Oh, the meaning of things is nothing. And the next worldview that I encounter most often is materialism yeah right that uh, and I, I most folks who would consider themselves scientific atheists would say there is no god because god is not a chemical process you know uh, i am the constitution of my chemical processes and that's it that's all that there is to reality so how does culturalism this existential nihilism how does it answer the question of origin? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, no, I mean, I, I, I don't know that they have an answer for creation. Uh, or, or they do, but it's not one that I'm satisfied by, I guess, is to say, you know, I think that this is maybe where you get um, an, an impersonal creation account, you know, whether right. it's the Big Bang or... Um, you know, uh, evolving from, you know, this uh, minute um, kind of molecule or amoeba um, primordial ooze ooze or whatever group. Which Um, they're kind of borrowing from the materialists. Right, right. But people in this group might even be agnostic to the point where they're like, yeah, maybe there's a god. Well, and that's that's the question. Is like I'm not even sure they're. Cons- I, I'm not. I don't want to put words in the mouths of someone else's beliefs, but I'm wondering if that is even a pressing question for them because it's not that they're so concerned about their past, but about building their future, their own future. Yeah. Right. They're they're not. Their identity is what they what they set out to make it. Their uh, who the, answering that second question of who are we, who am I, is the most prevalent. It's is, the most important. Exactly, and in that case, then uh, the, there is there is no greater being, no great designer. Uh, practically speaking, in their worldview, they become the designer. The designer. They become the the kind of the the, the theist or the the not the theist the the god themselves. Right. And uh and and then you know it's kind of hard to reconcile that with the next person's view of, right. You know, uh, because everything is relative. Uh, and then of course, if you go into the materialist camp, you know, the naturalist camp, 
they're probably going to give you, you know, this evolutionary theory, this progressive evolutionism, this um, initial inciting event, right? That that something came from nothing, and then there was everything. Mm -hmm. And we can't technically pinpoint that scientifically, but by the observational rules of science it's a prob it's a good theory like we're we're gonna say it we're gonna say that it all started in a way that we can't exactly determine uh but then we're gonna move on from that point as though it is true and from yeah. that point we can determine that we're just chemical processes and uh the point of our origin is just the continuation of chemical movement yeah and you know what's interesting about this point of view is that it materialism would would almost place themselves in opposition to faith they would say that you know the only real thing is what you can objectively see and touch and feel however science itself requires faith to believe in in the theories that are laid out before us so you know these are theories which they deem some that they deem satisfied a, a satisfactory um, proof of but then many of the theories of science are are unproven but they're just hypothetical they're they're um best guesses given the information that they have on hand the things that they can measure but at the same time it requires faith to believe that this is true right. uh, science would state that observable things are objectively true However, there are things in the materialistic worldview that are assumed to be true but have never been observed, right? Creation Ma is one of them. Creation is one of them. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, deists and monotheists of, of science eons past viewed the created world uh, through the context of design. Mm -hmm. And that's... That's how many of the scientific discoveries of the 18th and 19th century were determined, right? If there is a God of order, then these things must go together. And if they go together, then they must operate like this. Turns out they do operate like this. And in this sense, these early scientists believe that they were validating the existence of a creator yeah. because they were able to conclude that order was present in what had previously been considered a chaotic world yeah. and i i think that that's the thing i mean obviously we can't unpack in you know a, a 45 minute podcast all the various worldviews and views of creation but but what i can say is that uh, christianity's view of creation of a, a personal relational god uh, intentionally and specifically creating not just this world, but the people that make up this world, the, the, the animals and the plants and the, the various living beings that, that, that fill the kingdoms in which God created, uh, that makes the most sense to me, that there is an order and a design to creation which I can observe and touch and, and appreciate and, 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 and not, not worship the creation, but worship the, the beauty of the creator in the creation that he's made. This is an odd anecdote, maybe, but I think this wraps it up for us. 
When we lived in Birmingham, Alabama, there was a science museum there for children. Spectacular. Three stories. It's just amazing. Way to go, Birmingham. <laughs> and in one of the exhibits was a display in which the student could move levers on a large control panel. And what you were adjusting was the constitution of sea life. And so you could increase water temperature or decrease water temperature. You could increase oxygenization of the water. You could, you could play with all of these variables. And as you began to play with the variables, things would show up on the screen. So you increase water temperature, you increase oxygen a little bit, and you start getting single-celled organisms. Mm. You start getting plants. Plants lead to animals that eat plants. Animals that eat plants leads to animals that eat animals, right? And as you begin to move all of these little devices, you wind up with a screen that's absolutely teeming with life. Big fish coming in eating little fish, little fish eating tiny fish, tiny fish eating krill, krill eating the single cell amoebas. And it's like you can see everything. And you move one of those levers an inch up or an inch down and you start watching species and plants die away. Mm. They just vanish. And it strikes me even now that like I loved playing that game. It was for my daughter, but I loved playing with it because getting things into the right alignment brought life yeah. to the screen. And in a way you sat there and you're like, yes, I did it. I've created the perfect ocean. Mm -hmm. it's full of life and it's and it's a cycle that feeds itself and there's this sense of odd accomplishment and it's it strikes me that like the point of the display is to show you that life starts from a single-celled organism but in order to get the fullness of life in the game you have to intentionally orchestrate it yourself you have to be the creator Right. And yeah. I just uh, there's so much pride yeah. in in looking at it and going, look, life, yeah. we 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 have made life. And how how alike is that to the story that we get in Genesis, where it says God looks to himself and he says, we've done it. It is good. It is exceedingly good. Yeah. Amen. We, we forget how fragile life is. And just that in that anecdote, it's a perfect anecdote, you know, a, a, a minor adjustment up or a minor adjustment down could could mean this, you know, this destruction. great destruction for yeah. all the living beings. And you think, you know, like God was very specific when he created in, in order for life to be sustained on this earth. And he did it with care. Right, because he wants Amen. to look on us with like with affection, yeah, and say, "Look, it's good." That's I think that's what's so beautiful about this view of creation is that we have a loving Creator who continues to care for us and provide for us and protect us, and He's done it all by revealing His character in creation. Amen. 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 
Well, hey, everybody, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, I hope this provokes you unto good works, that as you hear and think about these things, that you would strike up these conversations with others, even if it's just to say, can you believe what those two knuckleheads said? (laughs) But it is our sincere hope that this conversation leaves Sunday and enters into your life where the boots are on the ground, it enters into your relationships, and it begins to shape and mold how you see yourself as a believer, but also how you see yourself as a part of this community. We love you. God bless. Amen.